we've been in this series uh, looking at uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, never losing sight of the fact that um, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that uh, that God has satisfied our sin debt by pouring out His whole wrath on His Son. This was His intentional purpose, and Jesus Jesus embraced the cross, knowing that it would bring reconciliation for you and me. Guys, that hello, that is good news. And, uh, and so I don't want you to hear this morning's message without, uh, understanding that we, we now, on the other side of the cross, know the love of God, know the grace and mercy of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and all of that is, you know, God's mercy and grace are available to us if we would surrender to the Lordship of Christ, acknowledging that He, in His love, in His love, Christ came to demonstrate God's mercy and kindness and love for us. Um, but, you know, it's important that we understand what God's standards are, what God's expectations are, what God's holiness looks like, what his law uh, requires and demands um, of us. And, uh, and we do that uh, not uh, never, uh, never do we operate in a deliberate mode of sin. Um, but we but God has made made uh, made provision for us in Christ. And uh, so I, I want to talk today a little bit about stealing you know we're on the eighth commandment today we've looked at the first we're we're getting we're getting surrounded by the ten commandments here so uh and i want to thank arlen for his part in that uh that's a that's a sure gift um but today we talk about thou shalt not steal thou shalt not anybody has have you ever had something stolen from you you know, uh, absolutely. Um, and and for some of us, maybe especially as we look at the details of because, you know, as we've looked at all these different commandments, you know, they're far reaching. They're they're bigger than what we initially might hear in murder being, you know, if we've had anger in our heart towards our brother or uh, in the area of adultery, if we've uh, lusted after the opposite sex. And uh, boy, how desperate are we for the mercy of God? Um, and today, I think that if we're honest uh, and if we look at the far-reaching implications of this command, um, th- there's there's great there's great opportunity for us to see it in ourselves. Uh, I want to share a story from when I was young. Uh, many of you know that I was uh, I, I grew up in the Bahamas, um, and uh, seven generations Bahamian, um, and so we. Um, uh, we lived in a culture that uh, that had had a struggle with this. In fact, we had a word for it. Uh, we had funny words in our culture. Uh, we didn't call it like if someone stole something, we'd say you teefed it from me. Okay. Instead of saying you thiefed it, it just morphed into you teefed it from me. And uh, so, if you go to the Bahamas now, you're equipped with a little bit of lingo, so you kind of know what's going on there. But um, but at an early age, I I, I became intimate with this experience. Um, I grew up on, on the northernmost island. There's 700 islands in the Bahamas. 38% of them are inhabited. And uh, I grew up on Grand Bahama. Um, Grand Bahama's uh, capital is Freeport. And, uh, and that's where I lived for the first 14 years of my life. And uh, at the age of 12, um, we, every year uh, we had this half marathon that we would do. Um, it was a, we used with bikes. And uh, in our school, what we would do is uh, we would raise money for the school. I went to a Christian school, and and we would raise money for the school um, through this this uh, this half marathon. And uh, so I went out, and this particular year, the the bike or the grand prize was a ten speed bicycle. 
And uh, it was a three... Now, you can imagine uh, kind of telling here about how old I am, but uh, this is back in 1980, um, and, uh, or 79, 80. And, and so you can imagine a $310 bicycle. That was a pretty expensive bike. Um, and uh, I'd, ha- I'd ask my mom to go down to the store where it was being displayed um, downtown. I'd ask her to go down at least probably every day, but once a week, I'd get to go down and kind of look at it. You know what I mean? And uh, it was a pretty uh, exciting thing. I, w- I was so motivated. So I was out and about in the streets trying to get people to, to sponsor me so that I could, because it was twofold, how well you did in the race and how well you raised funds for the school. And and so I'm out there and and, and uh, to to... to Fast forward, um, by God's grace, I ended up winning this bike. So it was this gold and black bike. I dreamed about it. I was so excited. I wanted to sleep with it when I actually got it. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to leave it on my sights. Uh, literally, my parents, we lived in a condominium complex, and we lived on the third floor. So downstairs, there was a place uh, where all the electrical stuff was, um, and they, they, uh, they helped manage the complex, so they had keys to that. And so um, I was able to lock it in that, that electrical kind of closet. And we had it chained to, you know, because you got it chained to this big, huge pole, you know. And, uh, and you know, I would, I would like stay down there. In the first, this is the first week now. I would stay down there late at night just like wiping it down, you know, and looking at it. And, Anyway, silly stuff. But uh, so I went to bed. I went to bed. I had the bike for about a week, and I went to bed that night. And um, and the next morning, I go down to uh, to see just to look at it again, and it's gone, you know. And uh, the door was broken up. They cut the chains, and it was gone, you know. And I was just crushed, you know. I still feel it. Like I started like as I was going into this message and just kind of thinking of a personal illustration. I was just like. Oh, I you know I just still feel the disappointment, the betrayal, the pain associated with that, and I, I'm sure that many of you have had experiences because unfortunately we live in a culture that just wants what they don't have. Uh, coveting is a big part. When we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks, Nathan's going to be bringing that message. Excited about that. So, um, but maybe you relate to that. Uh, maybe you relate to that experience. Um, just to finish that story, uh, the, the New York Cosmos used to come to Freeport. To, it's a, it was an MLS soccer team, and Pele was on the team, in fact, <laughs> for a couple seasons. But he, they used to come to train at, uh, in Grand Bahama. And, um, and I was walking out with my dad, and we looked over, and here's a guy riding the bike. And uh, my dad was like, he got—he was hot. <laughs> he just took off after this guy screaming. He out—he outcycled my dad, of course. But uh, uh, just uh, you know, just those painful experiences where we feel robbed, um, robbed. Uh, the, the the command reads this: Exodus 20, verse 15: "You shall not steal." Let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you for your word that instructs us in your holiness, that, uh, that imparts to us who you are. Um, Lord, the great gift giver, the one that imparts and shares his gifts liberally, lavishly with us. Lord, um, please help us to today to understand your heart as it relates to this command. Help us to understand um, the antidote to these things so that we would live a life of integrity and honesty that we would be hard workers unto you, that we would understand um, that you've called us to share with others and not to take. Um, Father, thank you so much for your love and mercy, your guidance and strength. Lord, I 
want to continue to pray for Dagmar's healing, for Joe's healing, Father, for Charlie's uh, surgery on Tuesday, uh, for his recent fall this morning. Just pray that you would continue to strengthen him, reveal yourself, Father, uh, for the families that have recently lost loved ones, for the Phillips family, for Miss Catherine, for Miss Carol, for Phil, for Miss Ellen, for others that are just continuing to look to you uh, to be their comfort and strength. And Lord, I pray that you would enable your church to be an expression, the hands and feet, the hearts and mouths that we desperately desire to be, to come alongside one another, to love and encourage one another. Uh, we just thank you for your mercy and kindness to us, for your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful for you, and we praise you. Teach us now, we pray, Holy Spirit. Instruct our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, in looking at this word steel, in the Hebrew word, the, the word is genef. And uh, the meaning is, it car- is to carry off without anyone knowing. So it's more of a stealth, kind of get in there, take something and try to get out before anyone knows. That's really the, the, the connotation of the Hebrew word for steel here, genef. The definition is to appropriate someone else's property unlawfully. To, uh, to take someone else's stuff unlawfully. Um, as with all the commandments, most people fail to understand the full meaning, as I mentioned earlier. It is always has more comprehensive, uh, comprehensive expression than what we initially understand or see. So let's look at some of the conventional types of what we might understand to be stealing. Uh, burglary often, often comes to mind first and foremost. And then we have another word, we say robbery, which is more uh, something that's done in person, and it, it usually is associated with violence um, or intimidation. Uh, then we see larceny, uh, taking something without permission and not returning it. Uh, larceny or hijacking or shoplifting or embezzlement, extortion, racketeering. Uh, you know, if, we're, if we watch television, uh, most of the time we're hearing all about identity theft. You know, so our culture, unfortunately, is identified by this sad sin that uh, that tends to steal, and and it does more harm to those that are impacted by it um, than I think we even underst- or understand ourselves. Sin, as we have talked about for weeks now, sin not only destroys the one that is committing it, but it destroys the individuals that are the recipient of it as well. The list goes on and on. We can come up with a variety of different names uh, and expressions of stealing. But taking what it does say and understanding what it says or taking what it, someone, someone belongs to someone else is basically the connotation that's here. So in looking at a lot of uh, implications of this in, this in our culture, I saw some things that came out. Um, there was a hotel report that I looked at. And uh, within the Marriott chain... Uh, just just in pillows, not including towels, which is the highest number, but just pillows and coffee pots in the Marriott chain, six point, I mean, two point six million dollars um, uh, of stolen property. Um, that I found out that consumers, I mean, um, that folks that develop products and and sell merchandise uh, to uh, to this particular culture, that they build in 12% just for theft, from where it's developed to when it's actually purchased. That actually 12% of what you pay for a product, part of that is just to cover theft. Um, so it affects our economy. Um, 
the IRS is often stolen from and, and deceived with lies and deception, claims for disability and Social Security. And, and one of the things that's pretty prominent within our own um, mindset as a culture is the Robin Hood principle, that it doesn't count when you steal from the rich or from institutions or the government because they're less, they're more, you know, we're less fortunate than them. And they won't miss it. You know, this is the type of justification that is often used. There's a story of a teacher that I came across this week uh, that uh, taught to a middle school group. And um, she asked her students this question. What would you do if you found a briefcase with a million dollars inside? So she was talking ethics. And immediately one, uh, one young man replied, well, if it belonged to a poor family, I would return it. Um, So we qualify our honesty, right? So question number one today is this. What makes stealing wrong? What makes stealing wrong? Is it the implications it has on others? Is it the way that it really steals from our lives um, and destroys others? Or is there bigger? is there a bigger statement and maybe a better answer? In Proverbs 37 through 9, the scriptures answer this question for us. And gives us some, some clear insight here. Uh, Proverbs 37 through 9 says, Two things I ask you. This is a prayer. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And then pay attention here. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Stealing ultimately profanes God's name. That is the ultimate sin when we take what is not ours. As I mentioned already, uh, one of the, the, the most horrific consequences of stealing is that we literally destroy ourselves and others in the process. It is sin is destructive. And God, and you know, God did not, when he gave these Ten Commandments to a community newly established as the Israelites, his goal was not to, to be a killjoy. His goal was not to prevent, but to protect. And that is, you know, being that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that is still his heart. So the answer to the question is, because we steal, because when we steal, we abuse God's law, we neglect to honor him, ultimately we profane his name. Now, uh, there's another factor here. When we steal, we associate ourselves with someone other than God. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So in, in stealing, we associate ourselves. We identify ourselves with the, the enemy, the devil. Um, there are two biblical principles here. One that there is a right to private property. But one of the things we must understand is that God has, God has divvied out his things and we are called to be managers of all what ultimately belongs to him. But he has given us this privilege of having stuff, but ultimately never forgetting that it all belongs to God. So today's message is that's not yours. And the big idea behind that message is this. Yes, you might tell little Johnny that, Johnny, that's not yours. You know, we might tell our children that, and, and that's, that's beneficial. Um, 
Robert, is it Robert Fulgram that wrote the book, you know, All I Need, Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? He, there's a whole chapter there on sharing. You know, we want our kids to understand the, con- the, 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 uh, the importance of sharing and not taking what's not theirs. But the big idea here, the bigger picture here is this, is that it, it's not yours. It all belongs to the Lord. And he entrusts it into our hands so that we might be good managers or stewards of the things that he's given to us. Um, so one, the right to private property to be managers and stewards. And number two, the sovereign rule of God over all that he has made. We'll look at that in just in more in just a minute. But let's kind of look at the heart or the character of God in this. James 1, uh, 1.17 says, Every, man, it says it twice, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting or no shadow due to change. So all the gifts that are given are given by the Lord. So understanding that uh, God gives the gifts as he sees fit, as he did in Genesis, and and 100% of what he gives ultimately still resides with him. It's It's not about ownership, it's about stewardship. So when we steal from others, ultimately we steal from God. I mean, that's, that's the big deal here. Ultimately, when we steal from others, no matter what the context or the expression, we are stealing from God because he's the one that has delegated his good stuff. Why? Because he decided to give them what they have and what we have is, is, uh, is authored and delegated as he sees fit. Job got that. You know, you can imagine the, the agony and pain, and that's all we could do is imagine. When you've lost 10 children and you've lost all of your worldly wealth, uh, and at the end of chapter 1, this is Job's declaration. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and what does it say? And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, the thing I think we need to see in here is, yes, he understood that God is the good gift giver, but he also makes a statement that because it's his, he alone has the authority to take it away. We don't, because it doesn't belong to us. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that really, that's the big idea today. That's the, that's the thing that we need to swallow and, and allow to, to, to really to be entrenched in our mindset that it all belongs to him because it has far-reaching implications on how we, how we use it. And it's not just, I mean, re- our resources, I mean, money's way down the list as far as what's priceless, time and talent and gifts and people. I mean, those are the treasures. See, we, play, we, we are playing God and reflecting the enemy's desires when we take what is not ours. When I steal, I literally say that my benefit... And don't miss this, that my benefit is more significant than your harm. Your pain is my gain. That's the statement that's being made there, that, that my benefit is more important than your harm. So when we think about it from that perspective, we, we get that stealing goes far beyond just burglary and robbery. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So what's the antidote for this? One of the many antidotes, and I think this is probably one of the most 
profound antidotes is in uh, Paul is speaking to his protege, a young man he's discipled for years and is now turning it over to Timothy, turning over uh, uh, leadership within the church. And he says in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, but godliness with, con- with contentment is great gain. So what's the antidote for for stealing or even coveting or wanting what other people have is godliness with contentment. And if you want to jot this down, just a, a comprehensive look at what contentment is, uh, look at Philippians chapter 3, go into chapter 4, uh, really understanding what contentment really is, is that is, is being satisfied with what God has given us. Because a lot of times in a culture where instant gratification is our is our mode, you know, it's hard to be patient for God's good gifts. And um, godliness with contentment will help us to avoid a lot of pitfalls in life. In Psalms 51, verse 4, um, David makes a statement. Now, let's if we don't have a, a reference for David, David was a king in Israel, probably one of the most prophetic kings in Israel. Um, David uh, was a man after God's own heart. We often see him uh, and give him uh, great credit for the, the defeat of Goliath, um, one of the Philistine giants, uh, military uh, man. But David had a lot of failure and, uh, in, in his, his life. And the one that that's, he's most known for is when kings were meant to be at war. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was on his rooftop looking out over his kingdom and he, 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 he caught a glimpse of a woman bathing, Bathsheba. And, uh, and he made the steps to get her into his palace. And, uh, and then he took the next step and his lust took full expression and, and he slept with her. She was a married woman. So uh, David, David uh, stole not only Uriah, her husband's wife, he stole his life. Um, by later on, uh, after getting him to come back, and he would he wouldn't even go home to be with his wife because he wouldn't he was he was honoring the king. Um, uh, later on, he he literally orchestrates Uriah's death, um, and uh, in order to try to cover up his sin, right? We see that in the garden that, that the ways that we try to operate when we make when we make mistakes is we we either cover up, hide, or we start blaming other people. And, uh, and Nathan brought, uh, through an illustration, brought to David's, uh, brought to David's attention his sin. And in Psalms 51, we see David's confession. And he says this, this is an interesting piece in verse 4. He says, against you, and he's speaking to the Lord here, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Let's remember that that he had affected so many lives by his sin, his kingdom, uh, Uriah's wife and life, his, the son that would come from his infidelity. And, uh, and yet he makes this statement that against you and only you have I sinned. Man, we have to understand that our sin is primarily and almost specifically against the Lord, um, first and foremost. We see that again uh, in, a, in, in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son um, he uh, he has realized his sin. He's come to his pig's pen, and uh, and he makes this statement: "I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you." Or the NIV says, "In your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." Uh, J- J- uh, Joseph, 
Joseph, uh, when Potiphar's wife came to him and was trying to seduce him, he ran off and said, how could I do this thing against not Potiphar, but God? Man, it's so important that we see in the scriptures that our sin, first and foremost, is against the Lord. The greatest offense in sin is not its effects on me or you, but what it does to the Lord. So why not steal? Why not? Because yes, it defames his name, but God in his mercy and his kindness and his loving posture towards us, when God says don't do something, he does that for our benefit. I know our our sin nature wells up in that moment, but why not do it? Because God says don't. And is that enough for us? That we understand his love and his compassion, his posture towards his children, that he, he lovingly declares these things. I mean, we see it in the garden. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you will surely die. We, we have the benefit of past failure. When we see how God, you know, it says in, in uh, Galatians 6, 7, it says, God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Do we know that God is just and faithful. I mean, don't we have to look at the cross and realize that God poured out his wrath on his son in order to satisfy his perfect justice so that we might know the wonder of his presence. Man, that we would that that, that would be enough. It would just be enough to say that God says no. That it would just be done out of raw obedience. So why don't people avoid stealing? I, I believe there's two reasons. They don't believe that God has authority over over his creation. They just don't believe that. And sadly, number two, they don't believe that God has authority over them. See, when, when we believe that God sent his son, raised his son, when we declare his son Lord of our lives, uh, in that statement we say, you get to call the shots. You're the boss. What you say goes. What you say to do, I'll do. What you say don't do, I won't do. And it doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to, you know, we don't have to weigh the pros and cons. We can just simply say, God, you have a greater vision of my life than I do. Your heart towards me is perfect. And so I can honor you trusting that what you say is, is right. Otherwise, how does, how, does Mo, how does Abraham march to Mount Moriah? How does he do that? If he doesn't ultimately just trust God's promises and his word. He knows that God's going to do what he's promised to do. And so he can trust God at his word. So question number two is this. Question number two is, in what ways do we break this commandment? Well, I'm going to give you eight somewhat obvious ways, and then I'm going to give you five that are not so obvious. And, uh, and, and, and see where you are in this. Um, number one. Blatant theft. We've kind of talked a little bit about that. If you want some more clear description of that, Exodus 22, God kind of lays that out. Uh, I really believe that's where we've kind of found our justice system's parameters and guidelines. Number two, borrowing and failing to return it. That's stealing. That's stealing. Uh, many of you might right now be going through doing inventory of your, your garage. You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, 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 and find yourself falling short. How about with books or videos or other things that you might have borrowed? Um, how about those green pens right in front of you in the seat back behind you, in front of you there? 
Can I get those at your house? No, those are meant for you to take home and share. Don't please don't feel condemned about that. That's the purpose of having those. I know. Uh, I know. There's a lot of those in your drawer. It's okay. You can keep those. And I, and I'm not here making a list of people that I've lent books to. It's you know it's it's all good. So, um, but uh, but just understanding that, uh, man, you know, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of failure in this area. Um, that uh, my mom used to say, don't borrow because then you'll have to buy it twice. Um, and her point is, is that if you break it now, you got to buy them one, you got to buy yourself one. So uh, I never forget that. But listen to what Psalms 37:21 says about this: the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous, and here, listen to the, to the antidote here. The, the righteous is generous and gives, is generous. Jesus uh, kind of lays a principle out in the New Testament on this. He says, look, when someone asks you for something, don't lend it, give it to them. Give it to them. It's his anyway, right? It, you know, we get this great joy of distributing God's wealth. And here's the deal. God has a cattle on a thousand hills. He's not hurting for, you know, he's not going to run out. You know, and, and what he's looking for is us to be, you know, we're blessed to be a blessing for us to really kind of ingest that God wants us to be distributors of the, the resources he's entrusted us. Now, keep in mind, that's not at the expense, fathers. That's not, husbands, that's not at the expense of your family. Primarily, God has resourced you to be, to be, to be a good father and a good husband, but, but secondarily, to understand that beyond our tithes and our family and, and the things that are primary, in our giving to the Lord and to others, that we understand that it's His, and, and He gets to call the shots on it, and that's it's a joy for us to get to be His distributors. Like what a joy that God, and and if we're faithful with little, He will give us more, right? Much, and so we'll look at that in just a minute. But the wicked borrows but does not pay back, um, but the righteous is generous and gives. Number three, um, failure to pay someone off. Maybe a debt when you can. Fail to pay someone off a debt when you can. Now, I'm not talking about a mortgage being paid off early. But if uh, if there's a debt that you owe to someone financially and you have the ability to, to pay that off, um, that would fall under stealing. Number four, when we adjust the financial books, you know, this uh, this falls under the weights and measures that are described in Amos 5. Uh, in Amos 5, uh, it says this. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 5 says this. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the, the ephah, uh, and that's a, that's a, that's a, um, a weight of like wheat or a, 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 some sort of uh, stock, um, uh, small, in other words, we're going to make it small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. Uh, and man, the scriptures talking about this so much that we don't, that we don't, and I'll use a picture, an illustration. You're familiar with Norman Rockwell? Um, he had, one of his paintings helps to illustrate this. Um, here's a, here's a guy, it's a butcher shop and he's selling chicken and he's got his finger on the scale, kind of making it weigh a little bit more. And here's the, the lady that's buying it and she's trying to lighten the load. You know what I mean? Um, and that's, that really illustrates what, what, what's being talked about here is that we don't, uh, we don't do things in order to, we don't deceive others and steal from others in order to, uh, satisfy our selfish gain. Um, and, uh, 
You know, I, I, th- I was trying to think of a, an illustration in our culture, and it's, it's interesting. It seems like the bag of chips, um, even though it might get bigger, there seems to be more air than chips in there. Um, you find that to be true, and it's, you know, 20% more, you know. <laughs> like, and the price goes up, but the quantity still seems to stay the same. Uh, we just have to be careful about, you know, God, aren't you grateful that God is generous? You know, I love that parable that Jesus talks about, like, you know, uh, someone comes and they agree upon a generous amount for them to work for the whole day. And then, the, you know, the landowner continues to hire people throughout the entire day. At the end of the day, he hires someone, it seems, for just moments before the time, you know, and surely talking about salvation, but, but even in resources here. You know, he, he says to the guy, you, the, the guy that's now mad because he got the, this guy got the same amount that he got, and he says, well, you're angry with me because I'm generous? Don't I get to do with what, you know, with, with my stuff, whatever I wish? And, and that's, you know, doesn't God have the prerogative to give to who he wants to give, to the amount he wants to give? And do, are, are we begrudging when we don't get as much as we think we need or want? You know, it's interesting that if you make over $50,000 a year as a household, that you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. I mean, we, we, we don't think about that because our context, right? But when we understand that if you make over $25,000 a year, that you're in the top 4% of the world's wealth. But our context deceives us. Um, and there's, you know, we're going to be held accountable for what we have. And God, man, I don't say that in a mode of guilt or condemning. I just, just say that to just challenge us that God, God's characteristic, one of his most profound attributes is that he's a giver. And, uh, and the antidote to, to stealing and gluttony and, and, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the principles we see in the Old Testament is that when the harvesters were harvesting their fields, they were told not to harvest to the edges. Not to harvest to the edges, like leave the edges. And that when, you know, when you're harvesting, kind of stuff falls to the ground, right? The gleanings. And it's, and they, and it says, don't pick that stuff up. Leave it for the sojourner or the, or the, or the, uh, the alien and the poor among you. You know? Growing up in a culture where, you know, there was a lot of fishing. A lot of fishing. That was kind of, that's what we did. And, um, it, it's sad for me. You know, I, I think, you know, we see within our culture that, that um, the fisheries have to tell us, you know, what size fish we can keep and what we can fish at certain times and intervals. Well, in the Bahamas, if you're a Bahamian, now there's a lot of restrictions on U.S. folks coming over. But if you're a Bahamian, you know, if the conch's there, it's yours, you know. Um, and, and I've just seen friends abuse that. I've seen for, you know, there used to be a, a, a time way back before me where people knew what enough was. And they only took what they needed. But now with refrigerators and freezers, you know, had a had a friend tell me that there was a group that went down to Exumas and they got a thousand conks. What do you do with a thousand conks? Do you know what I mean? Like it's just a matter of do we do we have a do we have a gauge for what's enough? Or if we do get thousand conks, are we are, are we ready to just share it with the world and uh, and be a distributor of the good gifts that God has given us? So, um, so we see that weights and measures. Number five, um, when we misuse our employer's time and property, when, uh, when we as employees don't work the amount of hours that we've been paid for or don't work to the extent or with, with diligence. You know, one of the antidotes, antidotes for this is, whatever you do, word and deed, do it all unto the Lord. And when you work, don't work for man, but work unto him. 
uh, it, man, it changes everything because sometimes we can justify what we do or don't do based on what's being done for us or not being done for us. But when it comes to God, we don't have that as an excuse. Listen to what Titus 2, 7 through 8 says about, about misusing our employer's time that we're being paid for or property. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. In all your teachings, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opportunity may be, uh, so that an oppor- uh, excuse me, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Interesting. Uh, in a book called "The Day America Finally Told the Truth," uh, the average American worker says that they goof off about 20% of the work week. That's like, that's a whole day. That's like working four days and getting paid for five. Stealing. Uh, calling in sick when you're not, where the concept of personal time has come from. We steal when our work is not what it should be. We steal when we use company materials without permission or reimbursement. When we misuse our expense accounts. Some companies, I was sharing with, um, I was sharing some of this with John David, um, uh, who's living with us and so excited and it's good and, but, we were talking about this, and he works for American Airlines. And, uh, and he was saying that um, during the month uh, from, uh, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, they have a policy that's in place. Um, you know, they, they have flashlights, and they have, uh, they have meters and all kinds of stuff that require batteries. And, um, and so, but during, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they have to bring their battery in and exchange it for another battery. Why? Because six times as many batteries were going out the door during Christmas time for toys and stuff that were being purchased for their kids or whatever. And so they had to put this in place. Uh, he had told me that in past that, that, that as employees were going out, they had to literally go past a guard and they had to get their bags checked uh, as they were going home. This is the culture that we live in. And wouldn't it be awesome that we as believers that reflect the glory of God through the way that we live, what if we exemplified uh, the, the character of God in integrity and honesty? Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, interesting passage, but in verse 28 it says, uh, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. But listen to why. Doing honest work with his own hands, so What? so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. I mean, isn't that incredibly insightful? That even why, we, why do we work? We work, we labor so that we can share. I mean, that's, that's like the obvious mindset from God's perspective, that we literally work so we can share. Why do we have? I mean, even when God gives us good gifts, like from his perspective, his hope is that we would, because isn't that what he's doing with us? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. And for God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave. Number six, wasting other people's possessions. We see a parable about this in Luke 16. Verse 1 really kind of unpacks that. But wasting other people's possessions. Um, being a renter. I was trying to think of an example for this. Uh, being a renter and not taking care of the property. Or just saying, well, I paid for this, so, you know, and just not being a good steward 
uh, acknowledging that it all belongs to the Lord. Number seven, when we pay bad wages or withheld or delay payment, when we pay bad wages as employers. Um, you know, I grew up in a culture where um, the uh, Haitians would come in on the boat um, looking to, to seek refuge from, from just extreme poverty. And unfortunately, they were treated as like labor force. Uh, and that still goes on in the Bahamas today. But I don't think as America we're any different. I mean, just because someone comes from a different culture, that means they're not worthy of, a, of an honest wage. Um, should not be. James 5, 4 says, Behold, the wages of the, of the laborer who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Number eight. As, as an adult son or daughter when we don't help our parents. I mean, a lot of these things we don't think about, but from when you read the scriptures, it speaks of it in this context. That when, I mean, I'm, I'm so honored. I had just a wonderful conversation with my mom this week, and she's like, oh, you're, you know, she just accolade. And I'm just like, mom, you know, this is my privilege. This is my honor. This is, you know, I, I just see this as like, it's not my duty, it's my privilege. You know, we, we, in our culture, we, we have really disregarded the elderly. We haven't seen, especially our parents. I mean, think about the investment that they made for so many years. I mean, I, I put it this way. They changed my diapers. Why can't we change theirs? You know, and it's just sometimes we just feel like, you know, and I think there's, there's stealing in that. In fact, in Proverbs 28, 24, it says, Whoever robs his father and his mother and says, That is no transgression. Is, is a companion to a man who destroys. When I was 14, on the verge of 15, um, and, you know, when, when you get to, to, to prepare for these things, um, it leaves a lot of room for the Holy Spirit to convict you of all of the things that you need to be aware of and, uh, and move towards repentance and confession. Um, uh, this is a thing that I confessed in the past and, and I'm continuing to bring restitution for is when I was 14, um, we lived in a subdivision that had a hotel and a golf course. And, and so we, my brother and I in the summertime would go down to the hotel and they had a game room. And, uh, and I got hooked on Donkey Kong. Anybody? You know, like hooked on Donkey Kong. So I'm like playing this guy. I can't get enough of this game. And, um, so I would go home and I, I, I my allowance didn't allow for my addiction. And this, you know, gambling on some level is really stealing when we think about God's resources. And anyway, I won't go there. So, um, but, but I, I, I knew my mom were, was collecting bicentennial quarters. You ever seen those? You know, and, uh, and she had these in her room. And I didn't know exactly where, but I knew they were there because I would help, I was helping her collect them. So I went searching for them and I found them. And before I was, in fact, I don't know that she ever said anything. Um, but before I was caught, whether by conscience or otherwise, I had gone through $40, four, four rolls of these bicentennial quarters. And I want, to know, I want you to know, like in my 20s, I was just thoroughly convicted of this after coming to Christ, so convicted that even to this day, every time I see about you, I mean, she will tell you, like <laughs> whenever I see it, I have given my mom a ton of bicentennial quarters. You know, I just collect them all the time. I've given, and she's like, Colin, you don't have to do, you know, like, <laughs> she's like, no, no. And, but it's just, there's, there's something to be said about restitution. 
There's something to be said. We see it with with, uh, Zacchaeus. We'll look at that in just a minute. So those were the obvious ones. Let's look at some ones that aren't so obvious. We steal when we steal someone's reputation by the sin of slander. See, it makes no, no, no one more wealthier to, to, to slander someone, but it surely devalues the under, other individual. I mean, but think for a moment the ways that in a motivation to elevate yourself for whatever, a job position or to make whatever you think is more important better, you know, so often we use slander. And it's, it's you know, in Proverbs it says that, that a man's reputation is more priceless than rubies. There's a story of a priest. Um, a woman came and confessed that she had been slandering. And she confessed it and repented of it. And he says, he, 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 he celebrated that moment with her. But then he told her to go into the market and to buy a chicken, a dead chicken. We saw one of those, right? And so, and he said, but on your way back to me, what I want you to do is I want you to pluck that chicken before you get to me. So as she came back, she started plucking the chicken, you know, and she gets back. And, uh, and when, he, when, she, when, he, when she arrived back to the priest, the priest said, now what I want you to do is I want you to go back and retrieve all those feathers. And he went on to explain to her that's exactly what slander does and gossip, that there's no way you can retrieve all that's been done. The implications of what you said can never be brought back. Let's be careful about how we protect and guard other people's reputation. Next one that we might not think is obvious is we steal when we take someone else's sexual purity. Now, I won't get into this in in, in large detail because Trevor really nailed this last week. But, uh, But that when we don't guard someone else's sexual purity, when uh, we are thieves in, in the area of purity. Number, number three under this, this, this uh, unobvious way is we steal when we make others' work appear as if it were our work. Copyright, plagiarism, these things. It's, it's stealing. We steal when we take... <laughs> this one came to me in bed this week. Um, I was laying there and waking up in the morning just praying through this and I was like, oh man, this is a big one. We steal when we take God's glory. Um, In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus modeled this perfectly. Isn't it amazing every time that something incredible was done by through Jesus, God seemed to get all the glory and the praise by the manner in which he did it. Um, man, God deserves all the glory. And the moment that we say, you know, take credit for it, we're, we're stealing God's glory. Uh, last one is this. Um, we steal when we don't give God of the good gifts that he has asked of us to give in response to what he's given us, tithes, offerings. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Man, let's understand that. Um, I'm reading through Leviticus right now, and as the tabernacles being established and the offerings and the and the and the the uh, are being established, it says it says in there, let no man come to the sanctuary empty-handed. And and I mean that just struck me as like. Man, if I'm going to worship the Lord, if I'm going to to declare my gratitude and my 
my love for him. Man, <laughs> uh, you know, most of us, we'd never go somewhere to a, to a party. To, you know, we'd never go op- you know, empty-handed. And that's a, that's a challenging thing uh, when we think that we're coming to the Lord to express gratitude and thanksgiving. Um, and so maybe those are some that, you're, uh, that we're not aware of um, in the area of stealing. So what's the other side of this command? What's the positive connotation? Not taking, but giving, right? That's the positive connotation of this command is God is not a thief. That's the devil's uh, resume, right? God is a giver. And, uh, and so God wants his children to reflect his character, that he's a good gift giver, he's a lavish lover, and he wants us to do the same. There, uh, Jerry Bridges says that there's three attitudes towards money. Number one, that's your, um, that, that's yours, excuse me, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Number two, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. And then number three is, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. I'll say that again. Three attitudes towards money. What's yours is mine, I'll take it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is God's, I'll share it. Kent Hughes says this, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. It's a, it's a discipline that, um, that continues to remind us of all, uh, how faithful, how loving, how amazing God is and all that he's given us. A passage we've looked at, and I'll just remind you of it again, Ephesians 4:28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. That's why God gives. 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And finally, Luke 16.10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Right? Because it's about our heart. It's about our motives. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And there's much um, relevance to that in our in our passage. Um, I close with Luke 19. In Luke 19, we see a story of of Zacchaeus. And the reason I bring this up is that you know, guys, uh, on some level, I feel like as we've unpacked what do not steal looks like, we've we've all kind of we have all kind of fallen short of the glory of God, and uh, and to be reminded that God's posture towards us is mercy and kindness. If we would just turn, confess, and repent, God lavishes His great love and mercy and grace upon those that declare, that throw themselves at the mercy of God and the foot of Christ. And we look at, we see this this uh, piece in, in Luke 19. I'm going to read through the first seven verses and then I'm, I'm going to have eight through ten on the screen. But listen to this account. He entered, he being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, we get the idea that though Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, Jesus was looking for him. He looked up, he being Jesus, looked up and said to, and he said this, he said to him, he called him by name. 
He said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down. Can you imagine how honored he was? That, uh, you know, we understand that in Jewish culture in the first century, to be a tax collector, much less a chief tax collector, you were, you were synonymous with sinners. They would always say sinners and tax collectors. And so here's a rabbi. No other rabbi would, would dare be in his presence, much less uh, wander into his house. And Jesus calls him by name and invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And in verse 6, we see Zacchaeus' response was, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, and when they saw it, the crowds, the Jews, the Pharisees, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be, with, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And then follow with me on the slide, on the screen it says this, And Zacchaeus stood in the context of this party, this place where Jesus' presence expressed the grace and love and kindness of God. You know, Romans tells us that it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Do you know the law required twofold? Fourfold. If you're asked to go one mile, go two. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, it's a good thing when we come to a place where we understand that we've fallen short of the glory of God. But it is, it, is, it, is a, it is a fork in the road. We either justify our sin, cover up, hide, and blame others for it, and we never feel the wonder and the joy and the love of God and the grace of God that is extended to us in Christ. Or we confess our sin to a faithful and just God who, who will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we repent of our sin and our sin is cast as far as the east is from the west. That Jesus takes account of our sin personally. And we, we are the recipients of the freedom, the grace and the mercy of God. Because we have declared him Lord. We have received the good gift of God's mercy. And so Earl's going to speak to us in just a moment after we have some time of worship and prepare our hearts for communion this morning. But Man, isn't it awesome that we serve a God that lays out his, his righteous standards that reflect his, reflects his character, knowing full well that we could never measure up, and then makes, makes, makes us righteous by sacrificing himself, giving us his credentials, his resume, his righteousness, so that we could stand before him justified. In Hebrews... It says to us in chapter 10 that Jesus, that we know the curtain was torn from top to bottom so that we could have entrance into the holy, into God's presence, into his abode. That it literally says that his flesh was the curtain. That Jesus endured the stripes. He endured the pain and the suffering. That was our death sentence. He willfully, willingly surrendered himself to that pain and suffering. It was authored. It was prophetically stated that this is what he would do. And he willingly did that so that we could be justified, so that we could be made right with God. What a glorious gift.
God has given us in Christ. Would you confess? Would you repent? So that you might know the the wonder of God's grace and forgiveness. This is what he's given to us in Christ.